Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and today in studio with me, I have a strange man called Noel, who is my husband. Uh, a lot of you on Instagram were asking me to do a podcast with Noel because he recently climbed Kilimanjaro um, and some of you saw his Instagram stories. If you haven't seen them, they're on Instagram. He's got them saved as a highlight. But he is here to tell you how to climb Kilimanjaro. It's not that difficult, uh, but he'll give you all the tips and tricks. Noel, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me. Yes, it is a straightforward enough hike. It is. Keep in mind now that the last episode that came out was about a male man who climbed Mount Everest. So, yeah. So they're in completely <laughs> different ballparks. It is one of the big seven summits that some people try to climb over their life. But Kilimanjaro, regardless of your fitness level, you're pretty much able to get there. There's no technical climbing, so there's no ropes and uh, experience like that that you need. And one of our guides told us that the youngest person they had brought up was nine. So obviously a, a child. And the <laughs> oldest was 89. Right. And you could tell from the variety of people you'd encounter on the mountain. There was different fitness levels, even in our group. So it's very much manageable. It's down to your level of comfort, i.e. sleeping in a tent. And can you sustain walking at a very slow pace for, you know, up to 14, 15 hours a day? And that's really where the fitness quote unquote comes in but it's not it's not strenuous like Everest will be so I presume I've never done Everest nor will I ever so he he did say that um, Kieran Lally did say that a lot of it is mental and like mental training and you can talk about that when you get to summit night because I do think that that is mm. a lot more of a mental challenge than a physical one um, but talk people through how like how you decided to like go to Kilimanjaro and the research that you did etc from in 2018 one of my friends said to me while I was doing a masters organise something for the end of it so when you get through the thesis and all of that which can be tiring that you have something to look forward to so I had been into hiking at the time and I thought it would be something quite different and quite an experience if I climbed Kilimanjaro I knew it was a mountain you could climb without any technical experience. So I started looking into different companies. One of the first companies that I was aware of was through someone else I was following on Instagram, a girl I went to college with. She had done it with an Irish company called Earth's Edge. So they are based here and a part of their package was that a couple of weeks beforehand or a month beforehand, you would meet up on the Dublin or the Wicklow Mountains overnight, get to know the group you're going with and So the, the whole group generally. would be Irish people? Yes, unless for some reason you came from abroad to go with an Irish company. So I liked the sounds of that and I knew they were good to this person who had experienced them. However, about six weeks beforehand I injured myself. Um, 
up in Belfast at an indoor assault course trying to climb a wall and unsuccessfully so so I had to cancel it because you need medical clearance to go and I was wearing a boot at that stage so couldn't go so had to delay it then this year so there wasn't actually much research involved in that other than it came as a recommendation highly recommended um but then this year or late but last then, year hang on so you cancelled after you broke your foot yes then you rescheduled for the two of us to go together I wasn't going to do Kilimanjaro I was going to wait in Zanzibar on some tropical island <laughs> wait for you to come down the mountain and you were meant to go on the 13th September 2019 but my nana died on the 11th of September so that had to be cancelled again yes then Covid happened mm-hmm. and at that point I was like what am I doing going to Zanzibar on my own for a week <laughs> waiting for you that's definitely not going to happen and then so COVID happened so it got rescheduled again and then the opportunity came to do it with Dommy yes so our mutual friend Dommy um, said he would be interested in doing such a thing but again going back to the fact that they do a climb here in Ireland in advance and he lives in Abu Dhabi that really didn't chime well so we looked into alternatives and a company I know well generally are G Adventures they do all sorts of trips and hikes not all hikes just all sorts of trips around the world Uh, so looked into going with them again they're highly rated so we talked about it and he could fly from Abu Dhabi and I could fly from Dublin we all just meet there so you have to make your own way to Tanzania so we coordinate our flights and arrived there with G Adventures so you decided to go a few days early so that if your luggage sorry let's not go there first what training did you have to do do they say that you have to do any training so training really is climbing mountains here but Crowpatrick the Sugarloaf Crowpatrick Sugarloaf um, Carantugal if you can get down to it in Kerry which is obviously the highest one uh, Lugnaquilla and there are kind of general timelines that you're advised if you can climb Crowpatrick for example in three to four hours you'll be fine. Right. If you can climb Karen Tuchel in around the same time, you'll be fine. Albeit no one can say how altitude is going to affect them. So the key bit that you can practice for here is the altitude. So you don't know, and that was my main concern, you don't know how altitude is going to impact you. Obviously there's less oxygen. Your body could, in theory, have a really adverse reaction. Because, as I said, it's not technical, so it's not one of those climbs where you need to have a canister of oxygen with you. Mm-hmm. So it's all about, and this is part of the research I've done in advance, you need to allow as much time as possible to adjust to thinner air so your body can cope. So in considering the options with G Adventures, you could do a number of different routes and a number of different days. So we settled on an eight day trip, uh, which actually two of the days weren't hiking at all so really it was a six day mountain experience yeah because you started climbing on the Tuesday and you were down on the Sunday yes correct yeah, yeah. but the trip was technically Monday to Monday right. but the two Mondays were just at the hotel so it was a little bit of padding that would be the only negative in that sense but nonetheless six days is sufficient on the mountain and one of the things that G Adventures do and other companies as well is they hike up uh, to a higher altitude earlier in the day so you might be at somewhere higher for lunch and then come back down and that actually even for those you know 90 minutes your body's getting used to the thinner oxygen so then the next Kieran Nally explained that in the Everest one as well that like you are going up there to show your body what it's like up there then it makes loads of red blood cells 
and you come back down and you, then you've been up there before and so the red blood cells kick in and you're not as you're acclimatised to it yeah and that's what it's all about thankfully for me I didn't have any adverse reactions the advice as it went along was if you feel a headache coming on take a drink of water and it should ease off in advance and we can get to this but a doctor advised me if you go to bed and you still have a if you if you go to bed and you have a headache and then you wake up the next day and the headache has persisted then that might be an issue it should ease off overnight when your heart rate's lower your body you know over the space of eight or nine hours is acclimatizing but if it hasn't acclimatized by the morning then perhaps you need to consider your situation and whether you should continue to go up because your body is struggling thankfully in our group the worst of it was a migraine for one of the women which she said she is susceptible to migraines at home and if they had persisted like they did on the mountain she would have just um, taken some bed rest at home she decided nonetheless to kind of push through it uh, her vital signs her health checks that they did were all fine her blood oxygen was grand but it is a personal choice you are still assessed by your guides so they do that every evening every evening and if so they took our temperature our heart rate and our blood oxygen so temperature is kind of self-explanatory blood oxygen as you go up the oxygen is getting less so your body has less oxygen in it and like in a hospital if your oxygen in the blood gets very low your body will essentially start to shut down so they keep track of that and what we were told was they would be very concerned if earlier on your body oxygen was below 60 mm-hmm. um, now they never took no one takes your blood oxygen on top of the mountain when there is around 50% less oxygen but you're, you're only up there for a number of you're hours. not up there for that long and we could touch on that later so the other one then is your heart rate because obviously there's less oxygen so your body your heart is doing more to keep mm-hmm. your body going so you do you might go up the equivalent of two or three steps on a stairs and if you have a Fitbit or a watch like that you can look at your heart rate and it might be going 150 or 160 which is you know a decent amount of treadmill yeah so they have to obviously check if you're sitting around having dinner not really doing anything and your heart is still 150 or 160 it's clearly struggling but as we progressed up the mountain my heart rate was resting in the evening we'll say during dinner at maybe about 90 to 100 Mm -hmm. which is pretty average for the group whereas you know as we summited or even some of the earlier days when it got a little bit more intense it might have been 160 I'm really glad I didn't know that at the time Um, but then at night time as you slept it was resting at about 70 or 80 whereas mm -hmm. at home resting it's about I don't know, 50 or 60. It's 58, usually, on there your you watch. So <laughs> I track his heart rate. That's the difference between with the thinner air. Um, I didn't have any adverse reactions, as I said. The only thing I found was I was breathless a little bit more. Yeah, we could see that on your Instagram stories. Yeah, and sometimes it was funny. You'd wake up in the middle of the night. For me, I'd wake up and go to the toilet. And then you'd come back. And even though you'd only have walked maybe 10 metres... I could feel my heart rate was pounding. I was doing more work mm-hmm. to just walk. I didn't feel that, but just I could feel it in my heart and looking at my watch. And obviously breathlessness itself. And then there was one particular night where my zip wouldn't open. It was the middle of the night, so everyone was Sleeping asleep. We were all zip. kind of clustered. <laughs> this, this, the tent zip oh, wouldn't yes. open, so it got jammed. 
and I could feel myself panicking and then I was conscious I might wake Dommy and that or I'd wake the others around so I could feel myself getting more and more caught up and then I just told myself I need to relax because I'm now my heart is pounding you know where you can hear it inside yeah. your own body and I was starting not gasping for air but I was like I'm going to just need pass to sleep out pass out <laughs> because I can't get into my tent I just took a moment and I got the tent open and then I got in but even in that I remember just lying there trying to get back to sleep and it's like if you just wake up all of a sudden and you feel like you've fallen off a cliff where your heart is kind of pounding so it takes a, a minute or two for it to calm down again and I wasn't even doing anything strenuous like a down on the ground I wouldn't have had a racing heart rate. Mm-hmm. But the, I think for a finish, my watch told me that week I had done over 3,000 active minutes where I thought I was like flat out running at speed. Yes, and you were actually just walking just at like such a snail's pace. Yeah. So you go to the... So on the Monday, you're there. It's the start of it. What What's that Monday like? They debrief you? So the Monday... You're, everyone arrives at the hotel. We all have the same accommodation. The reason we had allowed for those few extra days was to ensure our, our luggage would arrive on time, which it did. But there was one girl who arrived on the Monday, so the day of the, our initial briefing, and her luggage hadn't arrived. So she had a bit of a panic around, what well, am I going to do and what am I, where's my hiking gear and so on. Now, as it happened, there was two Irish girls who had essentially packed for one person extra. Okay. So they were able to give her all of her stuff. And then in fairness to the porters, Angie Adventures they that was the Monday on the Wednesday afternoon they arrived halfway up the mountain with her luggage so that was just very impressive so then she was able to swap with the girls so on the Monday evening they briefed us over the space of about an hour and a half about what to expect what we should be packing the food the guides the general length of each day and any tips and tricks they had kind of picked up um, over their years of experience some of the guides had climbed it over 200 times 200 times so mm. it's just second nature to them there's no impact of altitude or anything like that so then you're advised we'll be picked up in the morning and head off at around 9 o'clock so I made some changes to the stuff I had packed in that I was there was a few items I packed that I thought might be unnecessary extra t-shirts and things like that and actually after talking to them on the Monday I just threw it all in it was better to have it if I didn't use it fine but I ended up using everything I had with me and was glad I had those extra few bits. So you head off on the Tuesday morning. So that's your f- proper first day one for anyone who's renting gear. And I did rent a sleeping bag purely because I knew I needed a bag. The advice was that it could take up to minus 20 mm-hmm. temperatures. And I looked around here knowing I wouldn't use one again for quite some time or if ever. And I was like 200 euro. Mm-hmm. I was like I'm not paying 200 euro that's just silly money so I rented one and it cost me 40 dollars now it was a bit of a heart attack because the zip didn't work half the time <laughs> but you know I just slept on the zip and that took care of that yeah so day one we arrived they drove us to the Macheme gate because we were doing the Macheme route which is a popular route now it's increasingly popular there's also known as a a Coca-Cola route that's the most popular but ultimately all the routes kind of what's the Coca-Cola route why is it called the Coca-Cola route because it's so standard it's just so popular right, okay. that's what the default one so we arrived at the Macheme gate and it's about I think 1800 metres so you're already above the highest point you can be in Ireland yeah by a substantial amount I was using Crowpatrick as my local mountain in Mayo as the <laughs> reference point at that point you're almost three times the height of Crowpatrick 
So it's quite a height. Um, and I'm even at sea level at the hotel we were 800 metres which is higher than Crow Patrick. Yeah. So you've kind of but you're definitely acclimatised to that because you've been there for a few days or whatever. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no issue there. And then you set off day one and it's basically through a rainforest or they call it a rainforest. So it's all very green. There was a path, a well-worn path that we were following uh, that, you know, had wooden curbing as such as you went along. So it was very straightforward. And then you kind of emerged out of that onto the mountain. There was still greenery around. Um, but you were hiking that day. We had to hike 10 kilometres we set off late. We were literally the last people to leave the gate after we had some food and we just had to carry our day bag while the porters carried a large backpack which had all the things you didn't need during the day. Mm-hmm. So in our day bag we packed I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt that day and in the day bag then we were always advised to have rain gear so a pair of trousers you could pull on that were waterproof as well as a waterproof jacket just in case it started raining we didn't need them but we had them and then some snacks water because at a minimum every day you're advised to drink three litres some days that could be up to seven or eight litres of water it helps against the altitude but the flip side of that is you need to go to the toilet a lot so you stop a lot more as you're hiking and obviously under the sun it's intense heat you're closer to the equator you're higher up a mountain so the heat and the UV intensity is a lot stronger so you need to make sure you are hydrated a lot more and you're putting on sun cream and wearing hats. Yes, hats and sun cream at every stop. So when we were stopping every 45, 50 minutes, I was just lathering myself in more sun cream because it just felt like heat that was a lot more intense than you get here. Mm-hmm. So there was one day I, as we were coming down from the top, I we hadn't it on because no one had considered the coming back down and you're so high above the clouds. It just felt, I felt like I was getting red raw. Actually, I was fine in the end, but the heat just feels so much more intense. Taking a break from the show to tell you about our sponsor, humdingermortgages.ie, your new gaff without the faff. Humdinger are an award-winning mortgage brokerage and they specialise in finding the right mortgage for you. The best part is that you deal with the broker and they deal with every major bank in the Irish market so you don't have to trawl around talking to loads of people. They also make the best recommendation on what's the best way to proceed for you specifically and they stay at your side to help you at every step of the way from application to drawing down your mortgage. They're in the mortgage business, right? Not the application business. They have absolutely no interest in putting you through the ringer and getting you to fill out loads of forms without getting a mortgage at the end and they're really honest from the get-go about what the problems might be with your application but then they don't abandon you they will stay by your side and give you the best advice on how to make sure that you are successful the next time you apply they specialise in helping first-time buyers people looking to trade up and people like me who are looking to save ourselves some money by switching our mortgage for a better rate and like for me I'm going to switch my mortgage I'm working with Humdinger because like a reduction of even 0.5% on my mortgage rate can save me like 30 grand in interest over the whole term of my mortgage mortgages are the biggest financial decision you are ever going to make so take advantage of speaking to experts and go to humdingermortgages.ie to begin your journey My first poem went viral January last. I wrote a book and now I host a podcast. I'll have guests, we'll laugh and we'll moan and we'll realise that everybody's a poem. Hello, I'm Jan Brereton. I'm a mom, a fashion stylist, a perpetual sweary person and an accidental poet. In the thick of lockdown, I wrote a poem. What day is it? Who gives a fuck? I'd never written a poem before, but once I started writing, I couldn't stop. I'd love you to join me each fortnight for my podcast, Everybody is a Poem. 
where I'll read some poems and I'll chat with guests who inspire me. Everybody is a poem with me, Jan Brereton, coming soon to the Head Stuff Podcast Network. So while I have you, I'm going to take the opportunity to um, take you hostage for a minute and tell you about the merchandise that we are selling. We have notebooks and pens which are branded with the basically branding and you should buy them. You should buy them because it's a lovely notebook. Who doesn't need a notebook? If you are a Headstuff podcast member, if you buy the notebook, you get the pen for free. It supports me. It supports the podcast. It supports the producers, the people who work on the show and means that we can continue to make these podcasts and give them to you for free. If you want to become a Headstuff podcast member, if you get a lot from the podcast and you think, God, I'd like to support Stephanie and the podcast, you can become a Headstuff podcast member for five euro plus that. Uh, or you can give more if you want to. Go to headstuffpodcast.com and you can click register there and you pick a podcast. You can pick up to three podcasts. If you pick three podcasts, what happens there is that the five euro that you're giving gets split between the three podcasts that you're supporting. Or you can pick just one podcast. Say you pick my podcast, then you'll get my bonus material for free and all of the bonus material for all of the other podcasts on the network. So it's a really, really good deal. Five euro, all of these special podcasts. So if you want to do that, do it. I'll be very, very grateful. The people who are in the community, the Headstuff podcast members are my favourite people. They support the podcast. They mean that you can listen to this podcast for free. It's five euro a month. I'm going to stop talking now, but I really appreciate your support. Thank you. Oh, and also, if you cannot afford to support the podcast, but you want to support the podcast, you can also give us a five star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a good review or share the podcast with two other people. That's it. Just send the podcast to two other people who will listen to it, who you think will benefit from it. That helps to get our listeners up, which helps us get sponsorship. It's all how it works. And uh, yeah, I'd be really grateful if you do that too. Bye. Going back to the the first day I had a couple of days before that started taking Diamox, which had been advised by the doctor as well in advance, which is a uh, a tablet you take half in the morning, half in the evening, and it's meant to help tackle altitude. All it does really is drain water from your body and you're obviously drinking more water because as I understand it, altitude can increase the number of or the level of water around your brain. So Diamox drains that. But I mean, I was going to the toilet about 16, 17 times a day. Which is fine for a man, but like the poor oh, woman. Yeah. Like. And there are toilets along the way, kind of wooden shacks, but they're the hole in the ground toilets where there's just a hole dug in the ground quite deep. And actually, during the day, it's better because you can't see. And at nighttime, you have to wear a headlight. And that's worse because it's shining everywhere and you see everything and it's just... I mean, it's human nature, but it's still awful. Um, And some of the toilets were dreadful. There was one in particular that the toilet was just advancing towards the door. Like people were getting less inclined to go closer to the hole in the ground. So they just were standing further back. Oh, God. Um, So sometimes you walk in and be like, nah, just outside will be fine. Um, But saying that the mountain outside of that was very clean. There was no... You just take all your rubbish with you. Yeah, yeah. So that's the first night you get there, you have dinner... They check your vitals. Like, how much sleep are you getting? We were always in bed, I'd say, by about nine at the latest. On some up night, we were in bed by eight. But that was different because you had to get up at 11 o'clock. But most nights, it was bed by nine. You mightn't fall asleep straight away. But when you get to your camp, like, what are you doing? Like, we were talking to Kieran Lally. I was talking to Kieran Lally uh, on the podcast last week. And he was saying that 
they would do, they'd go up and then come down to camp for two or three days to get used to the altitude. And I'm like, what are you doing for two or three days? And he's like waiting for water to melt and then boil. Like, what were you guys doing? Yeah, so our porters, in fairness, and we couldn't have done it without them, they had, because they're so used to it and have done it so many times, they arrived in advance uh, of us and they were just able to speed along. Some of them were wearing jeans and converse and flip-flops and everything. There was one guy one day in a giraffe onesie. (laughs) Like, it was really, they're just totally relaxed. But they go ahead with our bags, as I had mentioned, and set up your tent. Tents. We decided to rent a toilet, all of us together. Um, so they had to carry that. They carried all our water as well. So every time we arrived, they always had just vats of clean water um, that they got from the mountain, from the rivers that were there. But they, um, they had. You can buy tablets that you just put in the water and it makes it sanitary. Yeah. Yeah. So there was litres and litres of that. Enough for those 12 in our group plus themselves. So we'd arrive, you'd get to your tent, you'd change your clothes, take off your boots. That was always a nice feeling at the end of the day and change into more comfy clothes. I was put on a tracksuit bottom and just a hoodie and they'd always come around with a little basin of hot water. well, we had our own soap, but hot water to help you clean. Mm-hmm. And you always got there around four o'clock, so you only had a short while. Then they usually had popcorn and tea and hot chocolates before, before dinner. Before dinner, so we'd have that, and then they'd rock out with soup and a main course, which the food was a much higher standard than I expected. Any of us expected. It was always really impressive. Um, so that was kind of your evening. Mm-hmm. And the first bit, you know, you might land into the tent at quarter past five and there'd be a few people in there and you'd be just chatting about the day and what you saw and also just getting to know people. So that was kind of how you spent the evening. I had a book, which was a waste of time and it was a big book that (laughs) the poor porter had to carry and I never once opened it. Uh, Yeah, but you don't want to be that guy like who goes on a group adventure and is like sitting with his book. That'd be me. Like, Who's the weirdo (laughs) with the book? So... The evenings went very fast. It was generally just chatting and getting set up in the tent and also packing for the next morning. Um, because in the morning, you always felt like you were in a bit more of a rush to just. So you up. have that Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. Yes. Talk to us about summit night. Summit night then was a little different. So we got to camp earlier. We had lunch at a higher level that day, then hiked across to. They called it base camp. So we got there around three or four o'clock. We had dinner, maybe six. They talked about what to come, what was going to come that night. We went to bed at eight. I would say we had to get up at 11 to start the climb at midnight. I would say I slept for about an hour, an hour and a half tops at a push as well. But the so the previous night's sleep was equally if not more important because it was your fuel for Thursday and Friday into Friday night, Saturday morning. Thankfully, I actually had a really good sleep that night. But you also had a day's hiking over Mm -hmm. the course of Friday. So you got up at 11 o'clock, put on almost all the clothes you had brought with you. I looked a bit like Mitchell, a man. My problem wasn't I was cold. I was too hot. (laughs) So... They I, gave I us um, a drink, so tea, coffee, hot chocolate, plus popcorn. 
the reason the food was so little at that point plus firstly you'd only eaten a few hours earlier really but they didn't want your body to be expending energy digesting, digesting when you really needed all of that energy for what was to come so we set off just after midnight and there was a four kilometre ascent and then another to Stella Point which is the second highest point you got a certificate for that which is great but I also feel like coming home being like I've been to the second highest point in Africa <laughs> would be you know a different story but you then had another kilometre to get to Huru Peak which is the top of Kilimanjaro so the first four kilometres were quite easily the worst and hardest most physical exercise or challenge I've ever faced it was just four kilometres uphill you couldn't see the top for most of it because it was dark beautiful night sky but it was just so dark when you were moving it was fine when you stopped you really felt the cold and you could see this procession of head torches advancing but you didn't know how far they were going and then somewhere near the top it was like are they stars or are they head torches and the pace of them was ridiculously slow including ourselves so you actually were going about half a kilometre so 500 metres over the space of an hour Jesus so you were really just just because it's so you're so tired and it's so high it's so yeah the incline is really strong but it, it you are tired you have I, I don't know we disagreed in our group whether it would be easier to know where the finish was if you did it during the day you would have yes, to battle okay. the sun which would have been torture this was a different type of torture I guess so you didn't know they kept saying oh you're almost there and then when the sun came up you were like I still don't know where the finish is because every time you'd think you'd get to a peak you'd go over it and then be like oh there's another bit Um, so the pace I think was probably the hardest and it was so monotonous and then at times in fairness to the leaders they were trying to they were singing for some reason there was a period where they were just making animal noises I think it was meant to be entertaining I was very much in the space of I don't want to talk to anyone Yeah, just I'm in my head and that was fine mentally it was a little bit challenging because you just didn't know where you were going to get it to the Stella point to that second highest peak so that was hard going I never got to a point where I was like I want to stop now it was always like just keep going you're going to get there eventually and I do think if it was raining there's a chance I would have reconsidered but thankfully it didn't rain as I said I had been very hot because I brought thanks to you a therma pack which is a great idea but I put it on straight away and it activated straight away so from the get go I was like I'm going to faint with the heat I'm going to be the first person who's like it's too hot Um, because it was below zero so I after a short while I wasn't the first person to do it not that it made a difference I didn't really care but I handed over my backpack to one of the guides so we all there was 12 of us and we all had a guide each basically Mm -hmm. so one person carried our guide I also had walking sticks well we all did and I decided I felt I was using more energy concentrating on the walking sticks because some of it was steps Mm -hmm. and rocks that you kind of you didn't have to climb them but you had to you know navigate them navigate them and step correctly and I just felt I was concentrating on too much there was a place in this and you know if you didn't lift it correctly you might trip over yourself so we got there anyway at I think half seven in the morning it was very impressive seeing the sunrise I must say 
And when you did stop to look up at the sky, there was shooting stars and it was just the clearest view of the sky you could get. And that was impressive. But at the same time, there was just so much. It felt like frustration because you were like, I just want to be at Stella Point because I know the hill is less then as well. Mm-hmm. And we did eventually get there uh, at half seven which was great but then you kind of forgot you're like oh I'm not actually there like there was such a sense of achievement getting to that point and we had all wildly underestimated how difficult it was and I was just exhausted but I had been banking all the way up that stretch thinking the last bit isn't that bad they said it was a gentler incline but I had underestimated the gentle incline I think I was like you know flat stroll up yeah yeah. so actually it got a kind it got hillier as we got closer to the actual peak and at one point I was I said to Tommy I was like can we just stop here for a while and then you know we'll have a second wind when we get to the top or whatever he's like yeah but if you stop now that last hilly bit is going to be really difficult someone had told us at that point we were only 20 minutes away so I was like all right let's just keep going so and again you were still going at that same slow pace slow pace so it took an hour an hour and a half to get there and it was a major relief when we did get there then. Um, I didn't take much of a notice of the thinner air or how much of an impact it was having. Um, it was only when I watched it back. I did yeah, your we, Instagram stories, you were like a drunk person. Yeah, and Dommy had that feeling as we were going along. He felt like he had, it was a sense of you just left the pub and had a few drinks mm-hmm. and you were a little bit tipsy. That's how he felt. I didn't at the time, but looking back, I know what he means. Uh, there was a slight sense of feeling hungover. Um, I also was more emotional than I expected. And as I said on Instagram as well, there was this absolute stranger who told us she had just came off the summit with her partner, her new fiance. He had proposed, which is great news. If anyone told me here they just got engaged, I'd be, you know, I'm happy for you. That's that's great news. I wouldn't be overly emotional about it but for some reason when this absolute strange Spanish woman told me this I was oddly touched by it <laughs> and I also got emotional about the uh, porters who were really supportive and as I said I don't it would have been a lot more difficult if I had to carry my bag my ho- the whole way up mm-hmm. also because my bag was pressing against the heat pack yes okay. so um, you could have just ditched the heat pack. Then. I know, but then I would have had to take off. I was wearing five layers on top. There's no need. Like, and then well, four layers on the bottom. So how long does it take you to get down? So then on the way down from the top to the base camp again, they, it took about three hours. Right. In the heat. That was difficult. Uh, but you were going at absolute pace. You were almost sliding down the sand. And then we had a short nap there for about an hour. And then we had to continue on to our first camp that we were staying at overnight on the actual descent but that took another uh, three hours so all in that day we hiked for about 14 hours that's so running on for me about 60-90 minutes sleep so your body was just exhausted but you were adrenaline fueled because you'd gotten to the top at that point the descent then just the air is you know returning to normal levels so headaches were lifting and people just were excited to be going back down. I definitely at that point, Dommy was the same, just kind of oversleeping in a tent. And when we got to our last tent, they had put it on a slope. So it was sloping towards Dommy. So Dommy was kind of rolling towards 
his door out of the tent. So during the night that night, I just woke up a few times and it was like slowly just slouching towards Dommy. Um, so I had to actively try and, you know, not end up on top of him by accident. But uh, it, it was enough tent sleeping at that point. So we were only delighted to get back to the hotel. Then the next day, the final day, it was, I think, 13 kilometers, which we did over five hours. You are still stopping as you go along mm-hmm. and going to the toilet and things like that. But you're going at such a different pace. Um and it's kind of done at that point. Yeah. Um, I will. We don't need to describe the filth and the shower um, because yeah. the filth even arrived back to Ireland after like five days of showering in Tanzania. That last day was muddy. That was our first time encountering rain. Some of it actual rain, other just, you know, it, within the rainforest. Um, but it was wet and muddy. People can find out more on your Instagram if they want to. Yes. Uh, last question. How much did it cost and would you do it again? The answer is no to the second one. Okay. I... Don't, I don't know why I'd do it again so quickly afterwards. Uh, if I was doing it again, I think you'd do a different route, but I don't really have any interest in doing it again to keep in line with your response. Cost, again, it depends on what route you do or what company you go with. I chose G Adventures. Their package was 2,900. For the Machame Yes. Route. And you have to organise your own flights. So that includes all your food and everything on the mountain and the guides and everything you then have to give a tip if you want but it's somewhat expected to the porters who without it without the man said you wouldn't do it so that's additional that varies from group to group obviously um, so yeah 2009 for that one but you can't pay more mm-hmm. and then your flights and all the gear that you had to get yes some of which I had some of which I didn't you can also rent it over there it depends what you're you could literally rent all of the equipment and clothes that you need over there yeah, which probably would be a good idea if you're not going to do any more. If you've no interest in doing it again. Yeah. Or if your wife might let you do it again, but <laughs> she won't. Um, thank you so much. Uh, if people have any questions, they can find you on Instagram. Uh, would you recommend it? Like, Yes, I think it's an amazing experience. It's good crack. We, we were just super lucky to have such a good group. We were all, give or take, around the same age. And just the different personalities. What I did like about the G Adventures bit was it was international. Mm-hmm. The Irish group would be great too, obviously. Uh, but I do like that kind of, you know, you just different insights and views on, on different things. So would I recommend it? Yes, 100%. It isn't that difficult. The last night is difficult without a doubt. So don't underestimate that. And I think they kind of surprise you with that element. <laughs> we were told just the last thing that on your way up, you know, everyone's doing their own thing. So don't interrupt anyone else's business. Don't ask them how they're getting on or anything like that, which we thought was, you know, don't distract people from the what they're doing but actually what they're doing there is don't you don't want to kind of be discouraged by people being like god that bit there was really difficult actually yeah. you know you have a good two three hours of an uphill battle so that was clever uh, yeah so would I recommend it 100% there you go another Mayo man recommending a mountain climb Um our music is by Only Ruin our graphic design is by Kahlo Gara we are produced by Julie Hassett and we are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network see you next week 